This is a Sunday message from New Community Church in London. To discover more about New Community, visit newcom.church. If you've been coming through here last week and you're here for a few more weeks to come, you'll know that we've been looking at a series entitled Knowing Jesus. There it is. And um, so today I'm going to be taking the next part of this, and I've entitled uh, this particular word, Knowing Jesus, His Glories, which I'll explain uh, to you in a moment. But I just want to kick off uh, by saying that uh, in this series, we will look at who Jesus is, and we will look at a lot of things about him so that we can grow in our knowledge of him. So next week, for example, it's about the names of Jesus. And it's just wonderful to take some time, particularly with everything going on around us, just to spend some time knowing about him and who he is and who he claims to be. But the truth is this, to really know Jesus is not just to know things about him, but it's actually literally personally to know him. And the way you get to know him is not only to know about him, but to experience the things that he says he is. So if he is the wonderful counsellor and the prince of peace, that's not just a statement, a poetry, it is a reality. And if you know Jesus, you can know him as your wonderful counsellor and as your prince of peace. It's much, much more than head knowledge. And in the book of Ephesians, which we'll just quickly look at, chapter 3, Paul is praying for the Ephesians church, and his prayer for them is that they might really know Jesus. And if we as an eldership team, for these next couple of months leading up to Easter, were to pray for all of us in this Knowing Jesus series, this would be the prayer that we would want to pray for one another as well. So if you've got your Bibles, come up behind me. I always say that, but I have no idea whatever does come up behind me. Ephesians 3, verse 14, Paul says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And what Paul is saying here is, knowing Jesus is definitely about experiencing him. He talks here about, you might comprehend with all the saints, what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. There's there's this ocean of discovery about Jesus. And to know Jesus is not just to put your toes in the water, it's to go swim. It's to actually discover, and maybe for the rest of our lives, up until the very last day of our lives, We're still getting to know Jesus because we're still experiencing more and more of him. There is no end to his presence and his power and 
his ability to reach us. And I love this phrase in verse 19, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. There it is. In other words, it's not just head knowledge, things you know about Jesus. To really know him is to know him in a personal way, in a living way. Knowledge that surpasses knowledge is a strange (laughs) phrase, but it's so powerful. In other words, you can know about Jesus, but to really know him is more than your head knowledge. And it's so true. So I was raised in church. How many of you were raised in church? You know, you're a church kid, okay? Some of you come from families, quite a lot of you, okay? So that was me. I, I was one of those weird kids in church that got to about age of 10 or 11 and made this decision, which was not to follow Jesus, but to not follow Jesus. And I was totally committed to not giving in to who he was. As you can see, the, the, this afternoon, that really worked. But I was determined not to be a follower of Jesus. I was just like that. But my knowledge of Jesus was second to none. I mean, I knew so, so much about him. In fact, in those days, when I, was, when I was 10, I went in for a competition which was run by the Scripture Union. And it was about studying Scripture and knowing Scripture and being able to write Scripture from memory. And I got 99% out of 100. And I came second in the whole of Kent. That was the... I'm just... That was the depth of my knowledge about Jesus. But I didn't know him. I mean, it's crazy. You can be raised in church and know a lot about Jesus and not actually know him. In fact, I think it's one of the challenges for church kids to to grow up knowing about him. And mum and dad kind of seem to know him, but you don't know him. There has to come a moment where you do. I was chatting to Victoria. Many of you know Victoria. It was at the academy last Saturday, and we were in the same group. And I said, how did you become a Christian? She said, well, I was raised in church. I was raised as a Christian, Nigeria and here in the UK. She said, and I just went through all of this, thinking that that's what, that was all that's necessary. And then I went to university in Southampton, and then I got to know Jesus. I actually got saved, born again, because you don't know him unless you've had an experience of him being born again, and then that's the beginning, not the end, of really getting to know him after that. So this afternoon, if you are a Christian here, which means you could put your hand up if you wanted to and say, yeah, I know Jesus, he's come into my life, then there is an invitation over these next few weeks to go on a journey to really get to know him far, far more. And I think as Christians, we can sometimes be very passive about knowing Jesus. We can be over-familiar. We've heard that word already today. We can become bored. We can, it's samey-samey, and life gets busy, and COVID comes along, and there's loads of distractions. And maybe there's some of you here today that your Christian life, your devotional life has become rather dull and a bit meaningless, and it'd be wonderful to kickstart a desire for knowing him more. So we don't stay passive, but we go on a pursuit that our original love, our first love for him, doesn't stay there, but gets rekindled and grows. So when Liz and I first met and fell in love, it resulted in us getting married. This would be the weirdest thing in the world if at that moment I decided that's enough of of this love bit. You know, I've kind of fallen in love with you and now we're married. I mean, it's crazy. 
to think they'll be like that. So what begins is actually an experience of growing in our love for one another the more we experience one another and more we get to know one another. And here we are, 43, this is going to get very romantic, 43 years later, and our pursuit of one another is still continuing. There's still things we're knowing and loving about one another, and that's the same as our relationship with God. How come we can get to know this God in this way that goes beyond knowledge? And the answer is the title of this word, the glories of Jesus. The glories of Jesus means Jesus is alive. He is in glory. He has been glorified. And he is now present and alive from the dead and with us here today. And because of that, he has the power to reveal himself to you. And you have the invitation to really get to know him. I love reading the Gospels. I love reading Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and getting to know Jesus through the Gospels and seeing what he was like as a historical figure who walked this earth. And he comes alive, as it were, on every page. And it's wonderful. And I want to really encourage you. You can get to know Jesus by looking at what, who he was and who he claimed to be and what he did. But you don't have to go back 2,000 years to know Jesus. You can know him today. Because he's not stuck there 2,000 years ago. He's a living God. He is alive. He has risen. And this is the Jesus that we are invited to get to know. So what we're going to do in the next few minutes is look at a couple of Jesus' glory passages. The glorification of Jesus. The first one, just to quickly mention, is in Colossians chapter 1. And I want you to be with me, and I'm going to get you to be part of this. <clears throat> These are familiar words if you've been around, from, but they're absolutely wonderful describing the Jesus that you and I are called to get to know and experience beyond head knowledge. Have you got that message from me this afternoon? I, I'll just keep repeating it until I think you've got it. But because you're all wearing masks, I can't tell, so I'll just keep on going. Verse 15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created. Say all things. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, come with me please, were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Uh, that in everything he may be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself. Whether, very good. <laughs> Whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. It's remarkable there are two things in this Jesus that you are encouraged to get to know because he has been glorified. In this passage, I mean, there's lots in this passage, but just got time to bring out two things. The first is this Jesus is fully God. So you are welcome to know God in his fullness. Just think about that. Not a bit of God or a shade of God or an aspect of God, but if you get to know Jesus, you're getting to know God fully 100%. Look at verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. 
It's an amazing statement, isn't it? Just declaring who Jesus is. And look at verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. When you and I come to encounter Jesus to get to know him, we are getting to know the full revelation of who God is, and it's complete in itself. If you want to get to know God, you don't get to know Jesus plus something else. It's Jesus full stop. He is the absolute revelation of who God is. This is an amazing statement in Hebrews chapter 1. Verse 1, long ago and at many times in many ways, God spoke to us to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of, come on, well done, through whom also he created the world. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. Look at this, and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. I want you to have assurance as you pursue your knowledge, experience of Jesus, that what you are about to encounter is the complete revelation of what God is like. What is God like? People used to say to Jesus, show us the Father, and he would always reply, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. When you experience Jesus, you're experiencing the entirety of the Godhead. That's what God is like. Now, you can get to know God through creation. People are fascinated by creation. People Love. You hear people who are not Christians say you need to get out in this COVID season into the countryside to look at these things. You watch nature programs where all glory is given to nature, mother nature and creation. It sort of gets people going, but you don't quite get that far. Romans 1 says, we human beings are without excuse. We can know that there is a God through creation. You can get to know God through creation by looking at the beauty and the details of it. You can also get to know God through the revelation that is given us through his word. That Hebrews passage has just said this. You can get to know God and you can get to know the prophets and the word of God. But in his last days, God has spoken through his son. The ultimate way of getting to know God is Jesus, which is why Colossians 1, it says that he might be preeminent and he is and right now every eye in heaven has their eyes set upon this Jesus and we are invited to join in and to really get to know him it's an opportunity it's an invitation that this should be our experience the second thing we get from Colossians chapter 1 is this Jesus is in control, which is why I got you to say those two words, all things, all things, all things, all things. All things, it says in verse 17, are held together in him. 
What does this mean? It means that Jesus is in control. So number one, he is fully God. Number two, he is in control. You are going to get to know God in his fullness if you are a follower of Jesus and experience him. And you are going to get to know this Jesus who is in control of everything, which is just such wonderful news. He is sovereign, ruling over everything that happens in this planet and in your little life. And he's sovereign, not in some distant, fatalistic way, but present with you in every detail of your life and my life. This is particularly important as you've lived through these last two years of this COVID experience. When all of this is thrown up in the air and people wonder, is there anybody or anything that's in control of anything? As we come to a knowledge of Jesus... We need to be assured that we don't just know that he's a God in control, but we actually begin to experience that in our lives. And that's life-changing. So, for example, if you're getting to know the one who you know is in control of all things, then you have the opportunity to be flooded with peace. And in a world of mass anxiety, where everybody's trying to find peace, I guarantee if you are experiencing Jesus, you will know peace. Jesus said, my peace I give to you. Get close to the God who's in control of everything, and you will begin to know his peace. We're living in an age of hopelessness. When you get to know the Jesus who's in control of everything, he gives you hope even in the midst of the hopelessness. Of course you have hope because you're experiencing a God who's got all things held together in him. And fear is something that's everywhere all around us. I'm not an expert on mental health, but I believe with all my heart that the first step to all the streams and, 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 and outworkings of mental health, which is so broad and everywhere around us, is the, is the kernel of fear. That's probably where it starts for most people. They have this fearful thought one day, and then it leads on to all sorts of problems in their thinking. If you and I get to know that Jesus is in control of everything, then he can even change the way we think. And fearful thoughts can be banished because we know a God who said this, fear not because I am with you. And that's literally what you and I can begin to experience. One of my go-to verses um, throughout COVID has been 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 to 18, where it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. Now, if you were to ask my wife, who's sitting here in the front row, so how's, he, how's your husband done with that over these last two years? I would say probably around seven or eight out of ten. She would say maybe two, three... <laughs> Because obviously she's seen me when I haven't been rejoicing at all times, and I certainly haven't prayed all the time. And that last one, giving thanks, right, in circumstances, would definitely be time to say, Lord, I am going to give you thanks when we get out of this. When we get into a different circumstance, then I'll start to give you thanks. But you know what? If I really get to know the Jesus who's in control, then I will be able to rejoice always. I will probably pray without ceasing, and I might even get to the point where I'm giving thanks in these circumstances, knowing this, if we're taken out of the circumstances, we go into another circumstance. You can't just give thanks when it's all over, but you can give thanks in it when you know that Jesus is in control. Not only 
It's all things held together in him, the universe, everything. If he walks away from it, it all falls apart. But he's also, it says, the head of the church, which means that the one person who's holding the church all together is also Jesus. So the king of the universe holds all things together in the universe. He's also holding the church together at the same time. And I'm sure through COVID, some of you have thought, I have no idea what these leaders in our church are up to. I don't know what, they don't seem to know what they're doing. Uh, you know, I, 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 I kind of try and help leaders in different churches who say, so what do we do? And I go, I have no idea. But what I do know is this, that Jesus is building his church and he holds all things together. So if you've got a bit doubtful about church and what's going to happen, it's a sad time. This has been a tough two years. I mean, we've lost people along the way, and other people have been sick, and people have kind of moved away, and it's all over the place. It's hard. But there's one thing that hasn't changed. Jesus holds it all together. And you can be confident in what he's doing in the church, not because of us, but because he is the head of the church. Okay, so that's Colossians. Just one other passage in Ephesians and chapter 1. And in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul's praying again. So he's prayed in chapter 3. Sorry, this is kind of round back the other way. It works. And in Ephesians chapter 1, he's praying again. In verse 15, he says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in Lord Jesus and your love towards the saints, I don't stop to remember you in my prayers. And in verse 17, he goes on to that. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his love, of his power, sorry, towards those who believe, according to the working of his great might. Again, Paul is trying to say to us, if you know this Jesus who's fully God and this Jesus is in control, and then you get to another passage of Scripture, he's saying this, because Jesus is alive, because he is glorified, he is able to give you things. If he wasn't alive, if he wasn't glorified, then there's a whole lot of things he wouldn't be able to give to you. Why? Because he'd be dead. Because he is alive, he is a living God who's able to breathe and give us things. And so here, I've just read you a list. Because he's alive and you are getting to know him, he can give you wisdom, he can give you revelation, your heart can be enlightened, you can be flooded with hope, you can have an inheritance, and you will even experience his power. If you are worshipping a dead idol, none of those things can happen and they never will. But if you are worshipping and following a living God, Jesus, then you will be able to experience so much of what he is able to give. And this living God speaks and breathes and empowers and helps and heals and delivers. And he comforts us in our difficulties. And he gives life to us and he gives breath to us. And more important than anything else, he has the power to save us from ourselves and from this world and from our past and make us brand new. This is the God that we worship. This is the God that we serve. Quickly with me in the next few verses of Ephesians 1. 
when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also the one to come, and put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Again, this is a declaration of the glories of God. How can Jesus give us all of these things? It's because of where he is. He is raised from the dead. He has seated at the right hand of the Father, which means he has all authority. That's what the seat signifies, equality with God. See, Jesus, it says, did not grasp equality with God, but became like you and me and and died for our sins. Therefore, God has highly exalted him to his right hand. He didn't grasp equality with God, but God gave it to him. This is amazing. He sat down at the right hand of the Father. Therefore, he is far above all other names, every name that can be named, Today, right now, reigning and ruling, and forevermore, and all things are under his feet. He is able to give you all his promises because he is alive. He is able to display his power in your life because he is alive. And I have watched and observed countless people who have been in all sorts of habits and addictions and absolutely kind of overwhelmed with issues in their lives. And when they came to know Jesus, their sins were forgiven and power was given them to deliver them from these addictions and habits that people could never change with thousands of pounds spent on therapy and all the rest of it because they came to meet the living Jesus who had the power and authority to set them free. See, this Jesus has the power to demonstrate who he is. He is the one who can baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He's the one who can heal our bodies when we're sick. He is the one who can reveal himself to us in miraculous ways. He's the one who can answer prayer. And he's the one who can save us from our sins, that we might be free, forgiven, and that we might have a brand new start. The only reason anybody, just want to underline this, here today is a child of God that knows that they've been born again, that their sins have been forgiven. The only reason that that is possible is because you have met and encountered this living Jesus. John 7, 37 to 39, well-known passage of Scripture. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Look at this. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus has now been glorified. He's able to give the Spirit. The Bible says we are born again of the Spirit. There's only one way that that can happen, and that's that this is all true that Jesus died on the cross, but he rose again from the dead and is alive today. And he is able to take men and women like you, ordinary men and women, undeserving, and impact our lives and change us through his grace and mercy. It's amazing. It's a miracle. And God can do it for anyone in this room here today. If you've never come to know Jesus, you can know him and know his power working in your life. This is what it means to know him beyond knowledge. 
Can I ask you a question this afternoon? Do you really know him? You say, well, I, I, I kind of think I do know him, but do you really know him? Are you experiencing him in the fullness of all that he has for you? Because there's an invitation today and over these next few weeks. Why not give yourself to get to know him? I want to finish. We're still in Ephesians chapter 1. I want to finish just this one final exhortation, then we're going to pray. And it says in Ephesians chapter 1, before we got to the verses that we've just read, again, Paul in Ephesians 1, 3, he just goes through a whole load of things which I would call the fruits of glorification. Because Jesus is risen and is ruling, he is able to give us certain things. Some of us may be feeling at the moment, which is all a bit subjective, you know, I kind of... This is not feelings that we're talking about. It's not just, you know, I feel Jesus. This is tangibly the results of Jesus being in your life. And I want to finish by just, and this is for all of us here today. I want to finish with this. There's a few things down here. We're running out of time, but as quickly as I can. The first is this. It says in verse 3 that we are blessed, though we are who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. So you qualify to receive every spiritual blessing that God can give you in your life because you are in Christ. Not because you're a member of New Community Church, not because you're a good person or you've been a Christian for a number of years, but because you are in Christ. And if you are in Christ, you qualify for every spiritual blessing. Any spiritual blessing that anyone else has got is yours. It's not just for them. You think, well, you know, they're holier than me. That's why. No, they're not. They're just in Christ Jesus like you are. And we should encourage one another. I, I, what are these spiritual blessings? I don't know what they all are, but I know that they are all the promises of God. So every promise that God has ever made is a spiritual blessing that you and I can receive. I know you're wearing masks, but kind of look happy. Number two. Number two, look, it says here in verse four and verse seven, that we are to be holy and blameless. And verse 4 said, we have, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. And so the second thing is, the promises here is, if, if, if you are in Christ and Jesus is glorified, then you can know what it means to be redeemed, forgiven, and truly holy and blameless. That through the cross and through the blood of Jesus shed on that cross, the sin issue that you and I have tried to get rid of, and we cannot get rid of sin is removed from us through what Jesus did for us on the cross. And the guilt and the shame and the stain, that's a good word to use, that's upon us that we can't get rid of, is removed because of what Jesus did. And we put our faith in him and what he did, we will be forgiven for all our sins. And not only forgiven, but our sins will be eradicated and we are cleansed and we can have a new start. Do you know why? Because he's alive. And he's got the power to do that in people's lives. Here's the third thing, verse 5. We are adopted as sons. We get to know God as our father. We're not trying to become sons or daughters. We are the moment we're in Christ Jesus. So a result of Jesus being glorified is that you and I are now know that we are adopted and we experience sonship and God as our father as a result. Number four, it says here in verse seven and eight that he has lavished his grace upon us. We are recipients of the grace of God. It's undeserved. 
But this grace is there, whether it's undeserved or not, banking up, always available, new every morning. Every trouble we face, there's grace for every trouble. Everything you're called to do, I can't do that, there's grace given for you. Grace is a great doctrine. It's good to understand it, but it's even better when it actually permeates your life and affects you as a person. And so freely you have received grace, then you're freely able to give it. Number five, it says here in in verses 9 and 10 that he is able to give us a revelation of his will and of his purpose and his plan. And this is where it gets really exciting because if you're a child of God, and, uh, and you're getting to know Jesus. You can net, get to know God's plans for the, the globe and his plans generally for mankind. And you discover all his purposes, which is great. But it's not just about those grand scale things. It's all also about you and me as individuals. That God has a plan and a purpose and a will for your life. So wonderful that you're born again. Do you know what? There's a plan and a purpose and there are gifts and there are places God wants you to go. It's like a massive adventure to live with Jesus. And miraculous intervention can happen in your life, not because you're a good person, but because this is what Jesus is able to do. And never a week goes by where I don't hear something on someone's life that convinces me, my goodness, Jesus is is so intimately involved in our lives. He answers prayers. He guides us. We don't know what to do, and he speaks to us, and he shows us. And This is what it's like to be in relationship with a living God. On Friday, I heard this story of a guy who's a pastor in the UK feeling that God was saying to him, okay, it's time to move on from here. And and in the States, there's a church that he's visited on several occasions, and they said, we've heard that you're thinking of no longer leaving your church, we believe that you should come here to us and become our pastor. And we just would love you. We, we, we love your teaching. We love who you are. And you've got to know us over the church over the years. Please come and be the leader because we haven't got one at the moment. And he spoke to his wife. She says, I don't want to live in the United States. Well, we can all understand that. She says, I don't, I don't want to go to the States. I want to stay living here. I feel called here. And he was really thrown because he thought, mm, I do feel called here as well. But, you know, I do feel this is right to lay this down and look at this amazing opportunity. And he'd been praying about it and he worked it out that his wife wasn't ready to make the move and he was a bit unsure. So he says, when we're praying, he said, I I just said to her, you know, how much would it take for us to take a year out? How much money do we need to take a year out and and just come to a place where we could decide whether we're to stay here or go? And she said to him, well, well, I've done all the calculations. If you had £60,000, which we haven't got, then we'll be able to continue, blah, 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 blah. So he said, okay. So we'll pray about that. He then got a phone call from the guys in the States who said, do you know what? We've really been praying again, and you may be in some confusion about whether you should come or not. We just have come to a place where we don't feel that this is the place for you to come and be our pastor, which would be very pleasing for his wife because she now doesn't have to and actually helps him because he's been confused, shall I or shan't I? But he's then left with a dilemma of no job and no, nothing here, and the church he thought he would go to has said no. And then just at the end of the conversation, this, part, this, this leader of this church that he was going to go and lead said, oh, and by the way, a very strange thing has happened. He said, one of our businessmen in the church was praying for you the other day, and he felt led to say that God had told him to give you 60,000 pounds. Now, when you hear stories like that, 
You, you either have to say, well, these sort of things happen, but when you hear them happen over and over and over again, the miraculous nature of how God works, it's really inspiring. And it happens to you and me because we're a living God and we're, we have a living God who says to us, don't just know about me, really get to know me and know me in all my fullness. And the final thing that's mentioned here in Ephesians chapter 1 is an inheritance. Verses 11 to 14, one of my favorite passages of scripture. You have an inheritance in Jesus now and you have an inheritance in Jesus for all of eternity. It says here, the Spirit of God is given to us as a guarantee that we will live with God forever. The Christian doesn't discover they've got eternal life on the day they die. They know it already because they've been born again and they're tasting of the age that is yet to come. Shall we pray? Good, I'm glad about that. Father, I want to pray for anybody in this room today who doesn't know you. They may know things about you. They may know a little bit about you or like a church kid like me, loads. But don't know you. And I pray for anyone in this room today that doesn't yet know you. That for the first time, they can take this step And they can know you, really know you. Because you can come and cause them to be born again. Sins forgiven. A brand new start. And if there's anybody in this room today that you know, boy, do I need a brand new start. Do I need my sins forgiven? Do I need to have an encounter with this living God? I've got friends who come to know Jesus. I need to know him as well. If that's you here this afternoon, we pray right now for you that you will make that step and you'll talk to somebody and get them to pray with you, that you might start this new adventure. Please don't just get raised in a Christian family. That doesn't give you life. Don't just come to meetings. That doesn't give you life. What gives you life is a personal encounter with God all for yourself. And Lord, I pray for us as Christians who would say, yeah, we do know you. I want to ask in Jesus' name that over these next couple of months, many of us will go on a journey not to just know more things about you, but to really know you and experience you in every way. Jesus, because you're alive, you can say to us, come, all you who are thirsty, and drink. And the result will be rivers of living water. I believe that with all my heart. And because you're alive, you can say, come, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. And you can do that, Lord, not from a story 2,000 years ago, but because of now, today, a living God. And Lord, I pray that all of us will receive this, this invitation. And rather being passive, we'll be pursuing you so that we can get to know you in all your fullness. Lord, in these difficult times, we pray for moments where we will come to know you as our living God and Saviour like never before. We ask it together in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Amen.